You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The week is half over. The market's week is half over anyway. And it's been a fascinating half week with me to discuss it and other matters. is Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. Monday and Tuesday were rather feisty, Joanne. And now uh, we're halfway through Wednesday, so halfway through the week, as I said in my introduction. And it's getting interesting. For example, the US 10-year bond yield at 1.665%. That doesn't sound like much. But on the other hand, it's suddenly front of mind. And suddenly, with Jay Powell's renomination, markets are starting to have a look at it and saying, where to next? Because interest rates are going to rise earlier than the 2023 forecast earlier on this year. Well, you say that, but you know, I did a conference yesterday where I interviewed a whole bunch of fund managers and I asked them the question, you know, when was the Fed going to raise rates? And the guy turned around to me and said, that's the stupidest question he's ever been asked. And I went, oh, what, a, what a nice and chap. You should give me his number. Yeah, I, I, I'd yeah, love to interview him. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but, but tongue in cheek as his comment was, he was just saying, as nobody actually knows. You know, we spend our lives trying to predict these things. Almost no one ever gets it right. Uh, the fact is, you've got inflation rising in the States. We don't know what transitory even means anymore. That's the word they throw around. Is it three months? Is it three years? No one has a clue. And at the same time, if you buy U.S. Treasuries, even at 1.6, you're losing money. So there must be pressure on the Fed at some point to reduce liquidity in the markets, be it via tapering, which they're doing, or be it via raising rates. But it's inevitable. Unless, of course, you believe that inflation has got to the top and it's coming down. Because I don't know if you saw what the ECB came out with today, which was just mind-boggling. No, I didn't. So that's one of the reasons I phoned you. So what did they say? (laughs) Well, the ECB essentially said, we're far too terrified to raise rates because the economy is so fragile and we don't want to destroy it. So Mm. it's like these guys are so behind the curve. They're so scared to do anything because, you know, they've got this problem now. They've got debt. They've got so much debt in the world. What happens when they start raising rates? They have no idea and they are so scared. So, yes, the market might predict a rate hike in 2022, but none of us have a clue because we don't know what central banks are going to do at the moment. Unlike South Africa, who are happy to raise rates. We had a rate hike, was it last week, of 25 bucks? Yeah, it's 25 basis points, which is, which is I mean, what, what does that do? What has it done? Since they raised rates, the rand actually has fallen into the 1590s in, against the US dollar, for example. Every, okay, that's the Turkish lira and the strength of the US dollar. But on the other hand, it's a meaningless token to me. Okay, but then why do it in the first place? Well, I'm not listening so to Kanyago. So if it's don't so, do it. Yeah, well, exactly. No, if you don't do it because it's not going to protect the RAND. And as you point out, the RAND actually weakened. Now, did the RAND weaken because of rate hikes or did the RAND weaken because the dollar's strong or did the RAND weaken because Turkey's imploding? You know, I mean, there's so many different combinations of why it's happening. But to try and raise rates in an economy that is incredibly weak makes no sense to me. And we have no demand inflation in this country. You know, you, we have an unemployment number that looks like we're having a civil war in our country, if, if any other country had unemployment numbers like we do. And yet we go and raise rates. It, it boggles the mind. And, and you, t- you could raise rates if you think demand is picking up. Where's demand, Lindsay? Yes, but Joanne, the point about the South African Reserve Bank is it's, it's not in a bubble, but it works in isolation. It's not the job of the South African Reserve Bank to boost the economy. It's the job of the South African Reserve Bank to be custodian of the RAND and also to keep inflation under control. So that's why they did it. It's up to the government to create fiscal structures that means that jobs are created. And the two have to meet at some stage. And obviously, there are meetings between the two. But the Reserve Bank says, this is my mandate. This is what I'm going to do. That's my firm belief. 
Look, I don't disagree with you. When it comes to things like administered prices, the Reserve Bank has no control over that, and most of those are government-led. So if government you know, made doing business easier and private enterprise became more involved, you would see a massive pressure on inflation dropping because private enterprise always tries to sell things at cheaper prices. That's what it does, and that's what you've seen around the world. But the reality is when it's supply-led inflation vis-a-vis oil prices or food prices or supply bottlenecks, a rate hike will make no difference to that whatsoever. And all you're doing is you're punishing a consumer that's already having pressure on the oil itself. So if you think about petrol prices, food prices, et cetera, it's, it makes no sense. So if you're trying to protect, if you're trying to keep inflation under control, supply-led inflation will have no impact with a rate hike. Then on top of that, if you're trying to protect the currency, to your point, 25 bits is a waste of time. So again, you know, whatever. I mean, if he's trying to be the guardian of, the, of our currency, fantastic. And most fixed income people I speak to think he's absolutely wonderful. Fixed income managers in South Africa think the man walks on water. And he's been very, very good for this country. Make no mistake. I'm, I'm not criticizing that. All I'm saying is I wish we had more of a Fed type policy in South Africa when it's more about the job market and inflation. I think what they like and, and is that... have a bigger impact on inflation than we do on jobs. I think what they like is that he's a pillar of stability. Whether you agree with him, whether he's behind the curve or ahead of the curve, whether he should or shouldn't have raised rates, you know what you're going to get. You know, given, no, given his history, that, that uh, he's not going to do anything controversial. He's not going to uh, no, d- do a turkey on us, that's for sure. He's certainly not. Uh, and he is very good at his job. I'm just saying, as I remain incredulous, that we raise rate and economy that remains incredibly weak and demand is not flying. If we had huge demand, if people were going out and buying new cars and the housing market was flying and, you know, people were buying too much clothing or let's let's take um, what's happening on Friday again, what's it called when they sold these products? Black Friday. Black Friday, Black mm. Friday. yeah. You know, if, if, people, if it was huge demand of these products, then I could understand where he's doing it. All I'm saying is if you listen to what the Fed is saying and we listen to what the ECB says and all of these people they're saying is they're too scared to raise rates because it's supply-led inflation. Now, where they should raise rates is in America because there's huge demand inflation coming through. You can see it in lots of the numbers. But I'm just saying it's not in South Africa. Anyhow, we, we're boring people listening to this. It's no, we're happened. not. But also South the United States, even, <laughs> even those are most of America, and I'm not being disparaging here, a lot of the voters are less aware of the US Federal Reserve than they are of uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. I think there was, I read an article about it and said it is the job that is the least known in America, but one of the most important, i.e. the chair of the US Federal Reserve. So I, I, I do think that... Uh, monetary policy has been politicised in the United States, whereas in this country, or rather your country, South Africa, there is no politicisation of that particular uh, instrument or that particular division, the South African Reserve Bank, because there's no vibrant political environment in South Africa. We know who's in charge. It doesn't matter what you do with rates. No, no, fair enough. And like I say, he's very good at his job. I, I'm just, I wish sometimes we'd had more of a US mentality when it came to interest rates in this country. We've had opportunities in the past we could have cut rates more aggressively, not in the last year or so, but there have been times where to boost this economy. From a cost of capital perspective, you need to encourage people to go into business. And if the cost of capital is very low because interest rates are low, you encourage it. But, you know, we can talk about this for hours. The reality is he is a safe pair of hands. Yes. I just don't understand why, to your point, 25 bits meant nothing, so why do it? Uh, and the signal he's sending is there are more rate hikes to come. Yes, and, uh, and I've heard that between... The bigger problem in South Africa mm. is not inflation. The bigger problem in South Africa is a lack of economic growth.
precisely, and that's been the case since democracy and before democracy as well. Uh, so three decades plus, there has been no policy on fiscal expansion, on on schemes that will create jobs. Because that said, I, I think if if, if, if unemployment came down even 5 to 10% down to the, the 20s, it would make a huge difference to, uh, first of all, government spending on benefits and also to society in general, don't you think? Well, I think the last point, society in general, it, we, we cannot live in a country when the difference between the haves and the have-nots is so enormous. And we, and we cannot live in a country where taxpayers are massively outnumbered by people in social grants. It's a recipe of a disaster. And it's a recipe for, you know, you can see why people steal. You can see why people do what they do in this country because they've got no hope. Mm. I mean, where where, is the, where are the jobs coming from? And every time Ramaphosa stands up, he should be talking about the tragedy that is the jobs market in South Africa. It should be that first thing he talks about in every single speech he gives. So create economic zones where you pay lower taxes. There are ways to do this. Make it easier for business. Why are we fiddling around with renewable energy? Why are we making it much easier to get renewable energy out of the grid? Why are we doing it? Why is it taking so long? I mean, last time I looked, and I could be wrong here, so people listening probably tell me I am wrong, but when it comes to spectrum, it sounds like we haven't even launched that yet. Why aren't we making it easier for telecommunications in this country to make data incredibly cheap? Because if we want to be part of the fourth industrial revolution, we need to make data cheap. We need to make speed of communication easy. So again, these, these are things we're not doing. And I see something on the mining sector. They've just they've lost the case in the mining in the courts, and they're now trying to change legislation that forces through policy that the courts themselves have said is not acceptable. They're just we, we scored too many own goals in South Africa. So you are right. The Saab is not responsible for creating jobs. I just wish they'd make it easier for the cost of capital. But, you know, in the long run, fixed income managers will tell me if you don't control inflation, the cost of capital never comes down. So, And they do have a point. OK. Results season is, is probably going to end in the next uh, week or so, September, year-end and half-year-end year end, uh, companies. And there's been some interesting results, I think mainly quite good, actually. South Africa-focused companies have done well since the... Well, obviously off a very, very low base, most of them. But on the other hand, uh, since the opening up of the economy after several lockdowns, they seem to have taken advantage of it. Whether it can continue, I don't know. You're the expert in this regard. Well, look, I, I interview South African fund managers, and I'm not convinced if it's in bias or not. But to a man, they're almost all of me tell me that they love SA equities and they're still overweight, and they love small cap and mid cap SA shares, a large number of them which are domestically focused. So they still think that the opportunity set is very rich. They say the valuations of these companies are incredibly low and they're very bullish SA equities. I I argue that maybe it is from a trading perspective, so there's a lot of base effects coming through in the data. But going forward, where's the strong growth coming from in South Africa? I still don't see it. So back to your point about government policy, if I start seeing some really bullish government policy coming out that is job-friendly and economic-friendly, then, yeah, absolutely I'll change my mind because this country's still amazing. It's just we've got the wrong, the government. It's not helping us. But then, interesting enough, the local elections, have, <laughs> it's been interesting to watch. There are a number of um, ANC members that have lost their places as mayors in certain towns. Mm. And I think the country's telling you they're sick to death of what's happening in municipalities around the country. And hopefully it's a wake-up call to the ANC. One will live and learn, but hopefully it is a wake-up call because they've lost a lot of um, positions. So that's actually good for this country because people still care. And those who did vote want change.
And also another interesting development, I mean, it's, not, it's nothing new, but South African companies being snapped up. I'm just looking at a, something that came out at 11.34 this morning. So it's a private equity group by a South African fintech company called Crossfin for 95 million US dollars. Okay, that's a drop in the ocean when it comes to the multi-billion dollar deals that you see regularly in other parts of the world. But people like South Africa because we're so cheap, Joanne. Are they just doing it because they need to do it? They've got to deploy their capital? Or is there genuine interest in this country's future? Look, I think something like a fintech company, it could be wrong, I don't know this deal itself. It probably doesn't matter where it's been where it's been created. Hmm because it's it's IT. So the, the, the technology could be sitting here, but it can be used all around the world. So I have no idea what this company does. What I can tell you two things about that. A number of companies today in South Africa, private companies, can't be bothered to list and are going the private equity route and trying to go through the US or UK or somewhere else. They don't even want to listen to South Africa. So mm. I think that's quite worrying from a stock exchange perspective. Are you saying they want South African assets? If they're buying a mine, that's buying a South African asset. If they're buying intellectual capital... You know, that could be anywhere. So I'm not sure that's a South African asset argument. I don't know what this, as I said, I don't know what this company does. But interestingly enough, though, I, I've interviewed a bunch of fund managers this week in terms of the discretionary fund management and multi-management space. And they're saying that going forward, when you're creating portfolios for clients, and I think this is a really interesting point, you can no longer can rely on just buying local equities, global equities listed. The private equity space is becoming more and more important when creating client port- when creating portfolios for clients. And I think private equity is still very early stages here in South Africa, venture capital, private equity, you know, leveraged buyouts, et cetera. And it's very exciting to see how many platforms or big life assurers are starting to package up some of these private equity opportunities. Because ultimately what this country desperately needs is capital. And you get private equity putting money into this capital, creating jobs, and then individuals can, you know, buy into these companies. That could be quite an exciting story for South Africa going forward. I'm probably more excited about private equity that I am necessarily about shares in the stock exchange. So, yes, you're right. People do like South African companies. It depends what sectors. <laughs> it depends if it's in the ground. It depends if they can take it with them. It depends what price they're paying. So, that there are lots of <laughs> depends. Yeah, there's lots of depends. Subject. I thought when they said 95 million US dollars, I thought it was uh, an overseas raider. But, in fact, it's a consortium led by African private equity firm Ethos, the mid-market fund, and also includes African Rainbow Capital, which is, of course, led by one Patrice Motsepe. But, um, yeah, so it's an internal deal. But on the other hand, you know, people um, having a look at South African companies, M&A activity, uh, which, which is good. And it's probably a good thing while capital is cheap, because if uh, rates are going to rise, then probably now is the best time to do some deals and lock in your rate. Look, there's no doubt about it. There are a number of South African companies that are very cheap. Um, so there's, there's two baskets, right? Some of them are cheap for a very good reason, and they'll probably stay cheap. And there's some cheap because the large asset managers in South Africa can't buy a lot of these small and mid-cap shares because they're too big. Uh, and there's probably opportunities there. So I think you've, you've seen some of the big companies from offshore buy some smaller companies because nobody in the asset management market wanted them. So they're different buckets. You've got to do your homework, though, because from a growth perspective, again, like coming back to this point, South Africa struggles with growth. And we don't have policies in place to create that growth. So, and I agree, it cannot be the Saab on their own. It, a government needs to step in, but we need policies to create growth. And without that, it's very hard to be bullish on SA domestic stocks. Mm. And not from a trade perspective, Lindsay, because these things, you can trade them, right? When I ask fund managers, do you like SA equities? They go, yes, we love SA equities. And I go, is it a buy and hold or is it a trade? And they almost always come back and say it's a trade. What, you mean like six months or something or a year rather than five yeah, to ten well, I mean, years? Yeah, well, I mean, once it gets, 
Yeah, they're, they're not saying they think. So in other words, the earnings might be good for a year or two, but post that, where are the earnings coming from? So if you do a DCF, it, it might look, it just got ridiculously cheap because nobody wanted it. But it'll always, you know, the mean reversion argument going back to the heydays of where these shares used to be, I think, are long over. I don't think we trade near those multiples again. Joanne, you must be looking forward to the uh, year end, as I said, uh, off air, it feels like the 24th of December, not the 24th of uh, November. And I, I think people are getting fed up. My email feed is dried up. Yeah, I, I think what's people are also genuinely starting to worry about COVID again. I mean, you're in Europe, Lindsay, so mm. you see these horror stories of what's happening in Austria. You see horror stories in Germany. And I think people are so scared that they don't have another holiday, that people are trying to close up now while they still can. Because remember, we have a government that might put us into a fourth lockdown, despite the fact that you know our numbers are incredibly small. People are, I, I think people are worried. I think another season in Africa with a lockdown, it, it'll be absolutely horrific here. So I think what you're seeing is people are trying to enjoy every minute now because we, we don't know what happens in two weeks' time. It's the most awful feeling. So I think that's got a lot to do with why people are kind of like downing tools, inverted commas, because it might be too late by the time the 20th of December rolls round. Joanne, thanks so much for your insight. As always, Joanne Bainham is from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town and will be back with me same time next week. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.